0: We love it so much, we really do use it ourselves, and we have four years, and I personally recommend you give it a try, no matter how small your business is. And to sweeten the deal, just for listening today, you also get three months free. Go to gusto.com slash boss. That's gusto.com slash boss.
1: Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, a podcast for creative entrepreneurs. I'm Emily Thompson. And I'm Kathleen Shannon.
0: I'm Natalie Lucier, and I'm being boss. Today, we're talking about ideas, list building, and online business with Natalie Lucier. As always, you can find all the tools, books, and links we reference on the show notes at www.beingboss.club.
1: Bosses, I did not get into business just to get bogged down by well, business. I knew I wanted to be creative, and I knew I needed help on the business side of things. That's why FreshBooks Cloud Accounting was the first piece of software I signed up for to help. I love how visual, intuitive, and simple it is, while also robust enough to handle my growing accounting needs. It makes invoicing my clients easy and professional, and it makes capturing my expenses painless. And it helps me see at a glance where the financial health of my business is. And I encourage all of you to try it. I personally use it and love it. Try FreshBooks Cloud Accounting for free by going to freshbooks.com slash boss and enter
0: boss in the how did you hear about us section. Natalie Lussier is an award-winning entrepreneur, an international keynote speaker who made her first website at 12. Graduating with a software engineering degree and a job offer from Wall Street, she turned it down to start her business. Since founding Ambition Ally, she's been featured in Inc., Fast Company, Success Magazine, and Entrepreneur. She's the creator of the Idea Sanctuary, a paper planner for creative entrepreneurs with lots of great ideas.
1: Natalie, thank you for joining us on Being Boss. I feel like our worlds are constantly, like, colliding, and it is so cool to finally get to talk to you.
2: Well, the feeling is so mutual. I'm excited to be here.
1: (laughs) All right, so tell our listeners who you are and the work that you do.
2: Awesome. So, I am the founder of Ambition Ally, and it's a tech startup company for ambitious business owners. And we are your allies on the tech side of things. So, basically, we help people who want to build memberships, sell online courses, build an email list, and we have a couple of different tools to do that. And who I am is I actually am a software engineer trained in university, and then I ended up starting my own business online almost nine years ago now, and so I started selling online courses and kind of learning about marketing, and then I kind of circled back to my software roots um, after having done it myself. (laughs) Right? You got to go out and learn how to make it do. I know, because I feel (laughs)
1: like I probably started seeing you around whenever you were in that marketing phase, and I would have never guessed – I mean, maybe I didn't dig very deep, but I would have never guessed that you were a software engineer.
2: Right. And, you know, it, it was definitely one of those, like I was going going on this path to become a software engineer and I worked, you know, on wall street in Silicon Valley and kind of had all those, those internships. And then when I graduated, I was like, you know what, I don't think this is quite for me. And it was mostly the corporate world that wasn't right for me. Um, but I kind of threw out the baby with the bathwater and I was like, I'm not going to do tech. I'm just going to, you know, start my own business. And, um, you know, I ended up starting a business about health and nutrition. That was my kind of training business, if you will. And uh, that was just my passion and, you know, started out learning about marketing and building my own website. And from there, people started saying like, Hey, who built your website? How are you doing all this marketing stuff? And that kind of spiraled into the Natalie Lucier kind of marketing side of things. And then it full circled back into software, but I never could have gotten to building a software company without having done it first, for sure.
0: So was it about chasing after the idea of being a business owner or was being a business owner more of a side product or a side, not a side product, wait, a like byproduct. That's what I'm thinking. (laughs) Was that a byproduct of you just making a living in your own way?
2: I think there's definitely some of that. Um, I also had this drive. Like I, I knew I wanted to have my own business at some point, And I, I had these really big aspirations. Like I remember in interviews and stuff, people asking me like, so what do you want to do? And I'd be like, I want to cure cancer. I want to save the world. Like I had these big dreams, but then I could never connect with what I was doing in the big picture of things. So when I started my business, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do something that I care about, which is helping people, you know, be healthier. Uh, but I also knew, like, obviously, I need to pay the rent and, and do all those things. So I kind of figured out, okay, well, this needs to be an actual business, I can't just be a nonprofit, because I you know, <laughs> I'm not quite there yet. Um, so that's kind of how I started that, that first step into the entrepreneurial world.
0: Love that.
1: All right. Speaking of the first step into the entrepreneur world, one of the questions that we get from a lot of our younger bosses, whether they're young in age or kind of making a career shift or new to entrepreneurship Um, is I know I'm creative and I want to work for myself, but I'm not sure what to make my business about. Or maybe they don't know which idea to follow. We get the question, what should I do? And I always want to say, I don't know. Um, (laughs) how do you answer that question?
2: Yeah, I mean I can share how I came up with what I ended up doing in my business cuz that that was exactly what I was wondering. You know, I was fresh out of college and I was like, I know I want to start a business. I had read a lot of blogs about, you know, follow your passion and all that stuff, and that's kind of what I ended up doing. Um but then I realized kind of along the way that you don't want to let go of what you're really talented at and skilled at, and I think a lot of times kind of following your passion ends up sort of changing, you know, your passions change over time in your, in your life and in your evolution. And so for me, I was super passionate about health and nutrition, which I still am, but I it wasn't really enough to build a business on long-term. Um, but I knew obviously technology and, and that is definitely something that I have had in my bones for a really long time. Cause I designed websites when I was 12, like that was something that had never gone away <laughs> ever since then. So I would say, look at what you're good at when, what you're, um, kind of what comes easily to you as opposed to what you're currently passionate about. Uh, just because I know that our passions can change, you know, we might be super into crochet or painting or, you know, different things in, in our lives. And usually it's something that you've done since you've been very young, that could really be the foundation for a really great business.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you have a lot of passions and I think it's so cool that you've let your business really evolve along the way. Was that ever painful for you? Like that moment where you decide to jump ship or not jump ship, but, you know, leave the Silicon Valley Wall Street world to start a health and wellness business and then probably closing the door on that chapter had to be a little bit tricky. How do you navigate those transitions?
2: Yeah. And I've, I've noticed that I I have those transitions. So now I just accept that they come and that I just need to deal with them. Um, there are definitely a lot of things internally in my head about like, Oh, what are people going to think when I make this decision and kind of worrying about the outside world? Um, and so sometimes I would, I would just say, okay, well, if people are following me on this journey, they will come with me from healthy eating into marketing. And a lot of people did. And actually, when I made that transition, I got emails, and messages from people saying, we're so glad you did this. We were just waiting for you to do this. And the same goes for software, you know, the same, they're like, Oh, we've been waiting for you to do, to create something for us. So sometimes it's in our own heads where we imagine people will react badly to the decisions that we're making and the changes that we're making. Um, And obviously you don't want to completely spring people, (laughs) you know, spring things on people. You want to give them a journey that, that they, it makes sense for them to follow on. But, uh, but definitely it's not as big of a deal as we make it out to be our our own minds. Um, but yeah, definitely like there was a lot of internal stuff for me to be like, okay, you know, this is working and I'm going to step back. Maybe, you know, there's times where I stopped offering services. I stopped doing a live event, you know, I stopped offering coaching to follow more of our, our tech, uh, business model. So yeah, there are definitely times where I was like, I'm, you know, leaving revenue behind <laughs> to do this. Um, but each time it has definitely paid off because it was, it was the right decision. Um, so it was just trusting my gut to do it.
1: Emily, do you have a question I before did, we sorry, get into gritty?
2: I muted myself because there was a dog barking and then I started
0: talking and realized that you guys couldn't hear me. Oh. Sorry about that. And so you probably thought I was being a
1: real big asshole. Well, no, I,
0: I no, <laughs> I realized what I did immediately for sure. So, um, I do have a, a quick question and that's around those transition phases. Kathleen and I did an episode, just the two of us recently, um, about changing business models. Um, because so many of our people are just like, us in that we start with one thing because we just have this like bug that has bitten us to run a business. And then we find that we need to transition into something else and maybe again down the road. And a lot of people have that sort of inner struggle. One of the things that we talked about, it was that transition phase. And I want to ask you in terms of um, in terms of how your not how your customers reacted, but almost how long it took your business model To take effect, I guess. That's the
1: exact nitty gritty I want to get into. Like, what does it literally look like to move from one business to another? How many months does it take? Were you freaking out about money? Were you still offering things on the sly, but like re shifting your positioning and brand? Like, how, literally, how does
0: it work?
2: Yeah. Um, good, great question. I think that, um, I'll, I'll just go from, like the more recent businesses because those are more clear in my mind. So, uh, yeah. So when I was offering still like masterminds and live events and coaching and online, a lot of more online courses, um, yeah. So I did – there were some things I kept kind of in the in-between. And like what URL and brand was that under? So that was under natalielussier.com. Okay. Yeah. And so we basically launched the ambitionally.com website. So that started, you know, it was live. There wasn't a whole lot of content or a whole lot to see, but, you know, we had a product on there and it was available. Um, so that was our pop-up LA plugin. And, um, so we had that going and then, um, we kind of kept, kept the event. So we did our, our final event and then, um, we, we essentially, How we did it is that instead of offering coaching, I offered a certification on the software side of things. So I kind of kept sort of a similar mix of revenue, if you will, in in that way, but it was a different offering. Um, And so that kind of kept the revenue going a little bit longer in sort of that space of things. So that that kind of kept us going a little bit longer. Um, But then I kind of stopped doing the live event. So that immediately reduced some of our workload, but also potential revenue down the line. Um, So that took about a year to kind of take effect because it was a yearly event. So that was like a year of kind of change. Um, but yeah, and then we kind of kept some of our software products and we've been at not software, our um, training products. And so those we have been slowly phasing out as well. And now we're down to just one offering, um, for our membership sites. So that's something that, um, I would say probably took two years of like kind of phasing out of more of the training side of things.
0: Perfect. So this is this is super good info. Thank you very much for sharing that <laughs> because so many people assume that a shift in business model is one where you have a great idea, you change it immediately and done or or they get really stressed out whenever you know one, two, three months down the road it hasn't quite taken effect in the way and in, in the speed that they wanted it to so thank you for sharing that that transition while one should be very mindful and and, and intentional can too take a moment um but I think as long as you plan for it well um it's not too painful.
2: Yeah. And, you know, there was definitely times where we were like kind of straddling two things and it was like, okay, wait, should we be posting this on Natalie Lucier or on ambition ally? And there were times where it was like, should people link to this one? Should I talk about that one? So yeah, there's definitely like that kind of in-between phase, like you mentioned, but the more clear you are internally, I think then it's easier to communicate that to the rest of the world.
0: For sure. And like flip side of that, it doesn't look on the outside half as scattered as you probably feel on the inside. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, for sure.
0: Okay.
1: So were there ever any like hard cutoff dates? Like, okay, on this date, We're gonna shut this down. And second question: Whenever you say "we," who are you talking about?
2: Yes. Okay. So, so we, um, my team and I, um, but also my husband. So, I started the business on my own in 2009, and uh, he joined the company in 2014. So, um, since then, so he's our our main developer. Um, We also have another full time developer, and our team is kind of always growing. But basically, when I talk about Um, We usually include him, but then also other people on my team who have been with us for many years as well. And um, yeah, and then in terms of hard cutoff dates, I have to say I'm probably the worst at those because I don't want to like kill my pretties (laughs) if you know what I mean (laughs) like if you've built something you don't want to get rid of it um so yeah we've definitely you know picked dates where we're like okay like this you know by this quarter we're gonna have decommissioned or like closed or forwarded the url or whatever it was um and that definitely made a big difference too because my my role in the company is creating it's really hard for me to destroy But it's important. I actually think it's really important to kind of clean up the things that you create over time so that they don't just like become clutter.
1: Right. And even I'm wondering if you experience this at all, but some of the energetic lingering. So even if have you shut any digital products that could have easily just been put into a funnel that you decided to shut down?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So our launch it and profit, uh, course. So we've been, we launched that in 2014, actually. So we had that for a number of years. We refreshed it. We relaunched it a couple times. We put it into a funnel. It was still generating sales, but we realized, you know, it's kind of like this open door, um, or like a window that's like a little bit drafty. And we knew like we wanted to put all of our focus towards the software brand and, um, and our new idea sanctuary product. So we were like, okay. Um, and actually the idea sanctuary is kind of born out of the launch in-profit um, product. a lot of the content and ideas from it kind of got transferred into that different product. So that was another big realization. we're like, okay, um, you know we would we would really need to put more energy in this to keep this going, um, but it, we would rather have the energy going towards our kind of future as a company.
1: I love that so much that you actually retooled something that was already working for you to be housed into your new brand so that mm-hmm. all of your focus, even, you know, your workload, but also the way that you're building a brand is all going into one place. So I'm a little curious going from Natalie Lucier to Ambition Al. Ambition Ally. I almost said Ally. Ambition Ally. <laughs> um, was that a little awkward going into like from a personal brand to kind of more of an organizational brand? And what has that transition been like?
2: Yeah, and definitely in the beginning, Ambition Ally just felt like the Natalie show. <laughs> so there was definitely some times where I was like, Wait, I need to take my picture off of this. Or like, you know, why are we using the exact same colors? Or, you know, so there were definitely times where we had to separate and kind of think through, okay, wait, no, this is not the Natalie show. This is Ambition Ally. We're a full team. You know, there's a lot of different voices and opinions and kind of people running this show. Um, so yeah, so definitely there was times in the beginning where it was pretty much just like an offshoot of Natalie Lucier. And then, um, since then we're actually rebranding again at this, as we speak. So that's going to be a new site coming out live again, um, in the next month or so. So yeah, there's been a lot of evolution and, um, and kind of fine-tuning of of the brand at Ambition Ally. But the idea with the name Ally was kind of like, we're your allies. And so that was like, okay, it's not just one person. Um, and so how can we portray that on the site as well?
0: Love that. And I think this is just so illustrative. Illustrative? <laughs> yeah, illustrative. that word? Um, of how so many of us creatives feel, especially like if you have that creative entrepreneurship just like embedded in you, you need to start a business. So you go with like, you know, lowest barrier to entry, you know, for you, that was, that was health and wellness. Kathleen, you were doing wedding invitations. I was doing, I guess, websites was no jewelry. Jewelry, jewelry was my first. <laughs> I was going to say, don't, don't come right. in at the middle. I forgot. I forgot. <laughs> Um, mine was jewelry in the beginning and then we start to refine and gather these skills and re- I, I have to ask how much, maybe how much like scalability and, um, and business model helped push any changes for you. So for example, for me selling, you know, worth of necklaces is very different from selling $10,000 worth of websites. Websites is much easier to get there. So did any of that drive
2: those decisions for you? Yeah. Oh, so many many times that that made a lot of of difference to where I was going to, you know, take the business. And um, I remember, you know, selling my first info product, my first online course, I knew that I could scale that. Um, I knew there was, you know, the market for people who want to be healthy. Um, but I also had kind of just grown a little bit tired of talking about the same things. Um, and so I realized, okay, yeah, so I could switch and and kind of do an info product in a different space. But I ended up doing consulting um, and also web design as well, uh, because again, kind of higher price point and people could see results faster. Than taking a course and learning how to do something themselves, and then waiting for them to implement on it. Um, But I did kind of circle back to the course thing as well. Uh, But yeah, then you know there was definitely times where I was like, okay, I need to scale. And also, you know, I had a baby a year and a half ago almost, so (laughs) that was a big you know scaling moment where I was like, okay, you know, I'm doing a lot of coaching, a lot of retreats, a lot of events. Um, This is great, and I love it. However, I know I'm going to be kind of out of commission for a while, and obviously. You know, the business needs to keep running. (laughs) This is, you know, our full time income for my husband and myself. So there needed to be um, a different business model to come in there. And I knew I wanted to leverage other people in the team as well because they're all super smart and, you know, they're amazing. So it's not just about, like I said, just the Natalie show. I want it to be um, everybody to, to be able to contribute and kind of um, move, move things forward in the business. So definitely the software made a lot of sense for us to scale. Um, You know, we have full-time customer support. We have other people who can write and kind of teach and do other things in the business and market. So it's, it's made a big difference for sure.
1: I want to come around to the Idea Sanctuary. I got the coolest notebook in the mail. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about the Idea Sanctuary. Is it just a notebook or does it go beyond that?
2: Yeah. So it's a paper planner and there's also a virtual element to it. Um, So it's a 10-day kind of process that you go through online with little videos um, that ties back into the paper planner. But it's basically you know, my gift to creative entrepreneurs are kind of what I wish I had when I was starting my business because some people have a lot of ideas, myself included, and it's really hard sometimes to decide which idea to pursue or maybe you know this is the idea, but you need to kind of fine-tune it a little bit and massage it and polish it and do all that stuff before you kind of put it out into the world and before it really takes on a life of its own. And a lot of times we kind of miss the step between idea and result. So there's a lot that goes on in between those and um, so this, this paper planner was kind of all the exercises, all the things that we do with our ideas to make sure they're viable, to make sure they're going to be profitable, and also to launch them um, with a the big bang.
0: <laughs> right? Because I mean, even as windy as like our paths may look, there's a lot of discernment. I think that comes into only having four businesses in the past five years or whatever it may be. Because it could have been 25 businesses in the past oh, yeah. like five years. So so I love this. I love this idea of giving structure to the process of ideation, this idea of collecting all of these ideas because God knows we all have a million of them. And really having a process for helping you pin down which one needs action now and sort sort of how to curate it into um, into something that can become a viable
2: thing in the world. Yeah. And I think sometimes we kind of work on our ideas in isolation or kind of in a, a vacuum and we're like, oh, it's going to be so awesome. But then different things kind of kind of throw us off course. Maybe we find a competitor who's already doing something similar or, uh, like maybe we, we see like, Oh, like maybe that's the next thing. And so we're kind of ahead of the curve a little bit, but we don't necessarily talk to potential customers, which I think a lot of times is the missing piece for us when we're evaluating an idea or product or something that we want to launch a service, whatever it is. And so we do in in this uh, planner, we kind of go through some of those exercises to kind of get you outside your comfort zone and um, and really kind of keep the momentum going because what can also happen is somebody could be super excited about their idea and then they kind of lose steam and then it kind of falls by the wayside and it doesn't happen and I've had that happen too like so many times with great ideas and then you see somebody else launch it and you're like, oh crap, I had that idea <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of help people who have these things and who maybe are, um, you know they notice that about themselves and they're ready to make their ideas happen
1: so I've had a couple of ideas work out really well. Starting a branding agency with my sister. That's an idea that's gone splendidly and it continues to grow. Um, starting a podcast with Emily. That was actually Emily's idea, but I joined along for the ride. It is ride. what it is. <laughs> We're in it together like it. at this point. <laughs> three years later.
0: Yeah, it's not my fault anymore. It's been
1: incredibly <laughs> successful, Um I've also had some ideas completely fall flat on their face, like embarrassing, getting featured and then shutting it down, kind of embarrassing failures of ideas. I've also had ideas that just never even made it out of the page of my notebook. So I'm feeling a little freaked out about like which idea to follow and which not, because having had some really successful ones, you almost want to think every idea is going to be a success. But having some that have failed, you think it's just going to be a failure I know that there's probably some middle ground, but I guess what I really want to ask you is how do you know which ideas to follow or what would you advise to people whenever it comes to whether or not to follow an idea?
2: Great question. I think sometimes, you know, definitely doing some of that work, like talking to potential customers to make sure you're on the right track and if they'd be actually willing to pay money or if they're kind of like, oh, that's a great idea. Good job. But they're just kind of saying it to be nice. You know, you want to make sure you have the right... Um, the right feedback from the marketplace, if you will. Um, But then also, you know, identify- Okay, wait,
1: question. Sorry, we have to dig back into this, dig into the feedback from the marketplace because this kind of feels a little like focus grouping, which I don't know I can wholeheartedly get on board with, but I'm willing to have my mind changed. I'm not trying to like confront you on this. I just feel like anytime I come to potential customers with idea or like, you know, my mom and dad, like, hey, I'm gonna start a business. They're freaked out and they say, no, just go get a job with health insurance Um, so do you ever feel like whenever you're in that ideation phase and the idea isn't fully formed, I think that part of bringing people on board is making it real for them. So have you already invested in, I don't know, branding it or coming up with a business model or really positioning it out before you share it with this
2: potential customer base? Usually no. Um, so what I prefer, and also I do not recommend talking about it with friends or family because (laughs) they're not your ideal customers most of the time. Um, and I've had that too, where I'd be like, Hey, you know, like I'd go to my parents or my friends and like, I'm about to launch this thing. And they'd be like, whatever. Or like, good, good job, dear, you know, but that's not what you want. You want real people who could actually give you money. Um, so yeah, I generally have not invested or like bought the domain or any of that stuff for whatever it is you're going to do. I always Um, buy the domain way too early. I'm just going to put my hand
0: up there. I own some ridiculous domains, guys. Just, just going to say,
2: yes, I have some stories about that too, (laughs) for sure. Um, but yeah, so, so basically at this point, it's really more of an exploration. Um, so you kind of know which direction you're going. And usually you're not even talking about your product or your service. You're asking asking other questions about them, about their situation, about maybe their struggles or um, things that they've tried before that didn't work so that you know what you could do differently with your offering and your product so you're not necessarily coming to them saying like hey you know would you you know would you sign up for this at this point you're really kind of getting to know them a little bit better and I think that's kind of a big differentiator to kind of focus group stuff because I think that, um, kind of building something by consensus is not going to work. And, um, and you know, every time we've tried to do something like that in our business, it just completely just gets so bland and terrible. <laughs> so right, I do not recommend that.
1: Right. Okay. Thank you for that, you know, clarification between, I don't know, asking for permission and really getting to know your dream customer a little bit better. I love that wedge. Okay. So keep going down that train of thought of whether or not this is a good idea and how to know what to follow through with.
2: <laughs> Awesome. Yes. So another thing I I also recommend is looking at kind of the ecosystem of what else is already out there. And a lot of times, you know, we think, oh, somebody's already done this. I don't want to do this. But usually that's actually a sign that there might be a market for it. So, you know, if you look at a bookshelf in a bookstore, if there's like 10 books or 30 books on a topic, then probably people are buying books about this topic. And it's the same for an online course or whatever it is that you're launching a website or a service or anything like that, if there are other people making it in that kind of business or um, market, then probably there are people you know purchasing and and signing up for that kind of stuff. So that's actually not a deterrent. That's a good sign. Um, And then also looking for your allies. So in at Ambition Ally, we always try to think about our allies and just thinking about like, who could you partner with or who would be a good person to kind of spread the word or even, you know, be a partner like, like you guys, you know, whether it's a podcast or a course or something that you could do together so that you're not going it alone and uh, kind of letting the idea wither on the vine or kind of not make it into the real world. So those are kind of the three pronged approaches that I like to recommend
0: love it wonderful I know well and I'm just thinking of all the ideas all because we do we have tons of them whether it's I'm not even gonna go down what they all could be because I'm just gonna start telling secrets about myself um (laughs) but but it is a problem and I think if you can give a process to having ideas and how it is that you figure out which ones to go at the overwhelm of your ideas are dissipated because what we do see more often than not is really great creatives who have some really great ideas who let the number of ideas they have overwhelm them into not pursuing any of them. But if you can just take some very small, relatively non-committal steps to test the ideas that you have to see which ones stick and which won't, you
2: are taking action. And that's what everyone craves. Yeah. And along those same lines, if you do have too many ideas, all kind of competing, um, the other thing I like to use is to evaluate like what's going to get you money in the door sooner, right? Especially if you're trying to make this a viable business that's profitable and kind of replacing another income or whatever it is. And, you know, kind of going back to that business model talk that we've been doing, you know, what is going to bring you closer to the dollars? Faster, or what's easier for you to create. So, those are kind of the two pieces. So, if it's going to take you like, you know, 10 years to do this thing, then obviously that's probably not the best business to be focusing on right now. But if it's going to be relatively quick for you to get that up and running, get it going, maybe you have the skill, maybe you know the people who can help you build something or whatnot, um, that's usually a good sign. And um, obviously the money too. So, if, if you know there's viable, you know, people are paying money for this, then that will also help you move faster. And um, and also think that success builds upon itself, right? It's like a success spiral. When you get something working that's going well, um, you can evolve it and kind of grow it, but it's just going to keep getting easier as you go along.
1: Yes. So have you found that the tech side of things is often a idea deterrent or an idea roadblock? Is that why you created Ambition at Ally?
2: Yeah, exactly. That's that's pretty much what we found is that So many times I'd be like, oh, it's so easy. You just... And then I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, there's actually a lot involved in in making this happen. And a lot of times, you know, people would ask me, oh, how, you know, what tool did you use to do this? And I I usually have to answer, well, I had to custom code that, or, you know, you need to know CSS or HTML or something else that, you know, you're going to have to either spend a lot of time learning or potentially outsource. And that can also just add some friction to getting something out there. So a lot of the tools that we created, we tried to make them obviously flexible enough for developers, but designed for people who are more interested in in aesthetics and marketing and getting something out the door quickly with as few clicks as possible. (laughs) That's generally how we like to do it. And, you know, even for me, like I can code stuff, but I would much rather not, I would much rather just get it out the door, work on the stuff that I'm you know really good at and, and just not spend hours and hours kind of fiddling with tech stuff and all kinds of stuff. So absolutely. That's, that's really kind of our our big mission is to make it easier for people to, um, you know, get to their destination and and make things happen. And we like to say, we make their ideas a reality (laughs) with, with our tech tools.
0: Yeah, as a web designer for creatives who wanted to start businesses, one of the things, and one of the things I still kind of hold true, is that if you want to run an online business, you need to know at least how to use some paragraph tags. Like,
2: there are
0: some (laughs) super basic HTML things that I think would behoove any online entrepreneur to know, but I do absolutely love how, as online business and just the internet is growing up a lit, a, a lot, actually, I guess, um, how there are so many more tools available now than there were four or five years ago, definitely ten years ago, um, in terms of allowing us to more easily build these online-based businesses without having to know how to develop anything. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's crazy how quickly technology changes. And I think that, um, you know, it's kind of like just making it easier and easier for all of us to do business and to do the stuff that we love to do to teach what we teach and share what we want to share. And even to connect to other people. I think that's the other beauty of the internet is that, you know, we're not doing this on our own. We have other people, we have amazing communities like the being boss community. And it's just cool to be able to use the internet to do all of this stuff that we couldn't have done, you know, like my parents wouldn't have been able to have an online business, right? So it's kind of amazing how this this is all happening.
1: I know, Emily and I have often had the conversation where it feels like everybody is doing this thing. We live in this online world, but... We're really the pioneers. Like we are the first generation of women who are really making an online business happen. So I just feel like it's so cool and special that we're in this time and there's still so much to dissect and experiment with and play with. Um, I want to go back to the idea of getting something out the door and something I often like to say is make $100 today. Just... If you can just make $100 a day, it kind of gets you down that success spiral, right? And I think one of the easiest ways to do that is to send a freaking email. So it's great if you have um, like a tricked out website and there's some cool tech behind it and everything is sophisticated and beautiful. But really what it takes to create an online business is one email, Many times, and you are known for helping people build their lists. And this is a conversation that is not going away. Email is not going away. So, do you have any, in this kind of side tangent? But do you have any advice or tips for list building? What have you seen change, even in the past couple of years, whenever it comes to list building?
2: Yeah, I mean, like I totally agree with you that list building is not going away. Um, a lot of times, people think, "Oh, I'll just focus on social media," but email is still, uh, you know it converts way better for sales people still check their email in bed first thing in the morning so there's definitely ways that email works really really well Um, and I also feel like it's a more personal connection because you are in someone's inbox and they kind of invited you there so yeah in terms of what has changed for list building um, I've definitely seen a lot of evolution of especially opt-in gifts or opt-in freebies and I think that um, that is still key I I think that if you want to get people on your email list you can't just say join my new newsletter because there's no incentive and there's no reason for people to just get more email in their inbox. It's probably already busy enough in there. So what you want to do is you want to give something of value and um, you know I've seen people give all kinds of things, you know, MP3s, PDFs, videos um, all kinds of discounts, all kinds of things to kind of entice people on their email lists. And what I'm seeing that works really, really well are free courses. Um, and the reason I, I think that works so well, and we kind of call that the login opt-in strategy. So you get people to you know opt into your email list, but then they get to log into a, a part of your membership site for free um, and kind of see what else you have available there, which is a great way to kind of entice them to, to sign up for more stuff. Um, but what why I think people really value the free course is that, you know, they might find free information on a blog post or somewhere else on the web, but it's usually organized in a really easy to digest method. And I think, um, that is what we value. You know, we're so busy. We need somebody to kind of like break it down for us, make it easy to absorb, make it easy to implement or take action on. And that's what usually a course can do for someone. So, um, I really think that's huge and it doesn't have to be a video course. It could be just an email sequence, uh, or it could be really any format. I think the format is not as important as the content and how you talk about it. So, you know, I've seen people do um, challenges, do, you know, our 30-day list building challenge has done very well. Um, I've seen people do it as checklists or other things. It doesn't really matter as long as the topic and the content is is really key.
1: So if someone wanted to build their list in 30 days, like along with an opt-in gift, like how would you suggest they focus their efforts to actually make that happen?
2: Yes. So, um, so if they have their opt-in gift already, um, then, then at that point, it's all about getting people to find out about it and getting people over to their website and depending on, um, what their skill sets are. So some people love blogging. So I would say maybe guest posting on other people's blogs is a great way to get seen on bigger websites. Some people love talking. So then maybe being a guest on podcasts would be a great way to get people back to their websites. Some people, um, maybe they have a budget so they could afford to do Facebook ads or Pinterest ads or other types of advertising, Um, maybe Google AdWords as well. There's kind of different avenues you can go there. Um, but basically from that point on it's really figuring out what your outreach strategy is going to be. And usually it's about connecting to other people's audiences um, as opposed to trying to build it from scratch somehow. <laughs> so, you know, some things that used to work a lot um in back in the day, which I think is still pretty effective, is to comment on other people's blog posts and to kind of get to know them. Um that also works inside of Facebook groups or inside of other communities that other people have built and just kind of, you know, be a good citizen, you know. Be give great feedback and comments and people will naturally come and check you out as well.
1: It Love always that. comes back to that organic content and just being a good person.
0: Pretty <laughs> much, <Right>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, good. I wish more things came back down to that personally right. <laughs> That's <laughs> a great <I'm> point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I'm also curious and you might be like too inside of it to be able to answer this question. But I'm curious about your software engineering background. And if there were like three things that you um, have in your engineering brain that you apply to creative entrepreneurship, like what are those three things that we could learn from a software engineer to run our businesses a little bit better?
2: Ooh, that's a juicy question. Um, Yeah. So I, I mean, I definitely like thinking about things in terms of quarters a lot. So like quarterly goals, quarterly priorities, um, and then kind of reverse engineering those goals back to what we can actually do on a daily basis or whether it's a project. Um, so yeah, like, you know, if you have a a numbers goal for new subscribers or number of sales or number of clients that you can take on in any quarter, then just thinking about like, okay, how many does that break down to on a weekly basis? And then how many of those emails do you have to send or how many other things, activities do you need to do? Um, and then, same thing goes for for traffic and conversions you know what does that look like i'm a huge fan of google analytics so i love taking a look at you know what people are doing on our website what pages are the ones that get people to opt in the most which uh you know which sites uh or which pages come through the search engines the most and how can we optimize those so that they're you know attracting the right people and also converting them to our email lists or our products so um I'm a big fan of daily sales in our business. So how many daily sales are you getting? How can you move that needle forward? And, um, those are kind of some of the things I would say. The other thing that's kind of not software engineering related, but I did learn a lot in the software space was, uh, really kind of how to listen to your customers and how to filter, um, like feature requests, if you will, you know, some people might say like, Oh, I wish you could, do XYZ or like, you know, why don't you do a retreat in Costa Rica or why don't you do something or another? And so just being able to hear that feedback. Um, and also solicit it if you're not getting it. Um, And then also decide if it is a good idea to pursue that because a lot of people are asking for it and it would really be profitable. Or um, if it is something that, you know, it's nice to have people say that, but they might not actually sign up or it might not actually be important. So that happens a lot in in our software space where people would say, I wish I could connect this with that and like, you know, do X, Y, Z. And sometimes those are just not very useful things. um, And they might never actually use it, (laughs) but it would be nice in their minds. And then other times, you know, their ideas are super brilliant. So just being able to discern between um, those, those requests are important too.
1: Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) (laughs) I'm feeling that one hard. So you have a podcast too, Natalie, right?
2: I do. We actually just put it on, on hold a little bit um, because it was just so much to kind of do the podcast plus everything else we've got going on.
1: Right. It's like a whole other business.
2: It is, yeah, and we just realized, like with all of my travel and speaking gigs coming up and stuff, it was just too much to take on, <laughs> nice.
0: but in this, this even takes me back to the whole idea, idea thing, where. It's so easy for us to pick up so many things. And I, I'd even like to hear a little bit about like more specifically discernment and maybe even how it applies like strictly to you. Not like this universal This is how you do it, Um, but how you prioritize the things that you are putting your energy into now um, versus when you are deciding to sort of lay something down for a minute and the difference between
2: deciding to lay something down for a minute versus scratching it all together. Great question. Yeah. I think for me, um, it starts to come in when it feels heavier or it feels like it's just not giving me energy anymore. Um, and also when I can see where I could be putting my energy towards something else, like in a better way. Um, so yeah. And when I start to kind of feel like, Oh, like this is not going as, you know, it's just not moving me forward the way that I want. Um, so that's more of a feeling thing than anything else, but I do feel like going where the energy is usually is, is a good decision in business. Um, energy and money usually kind of tend to follow each other. So that, that also helps a lot too. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how we decide. And then, you know, sometimes there's like, you know, attachments to, to something. So I don't want to completely get rid of it. Um, and also there's a lot of value in knowing that there's seasons in business. So realizing, you know, there's going to be a busy season where maybe I'm speaking and traveling more. So I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, um, like maybe like the podcast or blogging as much or whatnot. But then I know that I'll kind of be back in maybe a more quiet season and then I can pick it back up and, um, keep that going. And, um, and a lot of times, you know the value that I I see is kind of reflected in the numbers or the responses that we're getting or whatnot. So I don't want to kind of ignore those those outside um, influences as well.
0: I love that. I think it's it's so. Um... So important to point out how mindful you are of the things that you tackle and the things that you you know follow down the path versus those that that you do lay aside. And I would assume that that would um, that would feed relatively heavily into the success that you found in having a long term online business where you've been here pretty much since the beginning
2: of when people really started doing online business, right? Yeah. And I mean, I I built my first website when I was 12 years old and I had a blog before blogs were really like, you had to update an HTML page to like post a new, you know, like a new new update. Like it was not WordPress. It was not blogger. (laughs) Um, And they were called logs. It was like not even a web blog. Yeah. It was just a log. Um, So yeah, totally. It's been, it's been a long time. And obviously that wasn't a a full business or anything like that. Um, But yeah, like the, the web has evolved a lot and I think it's important for us to adapt um, with the web, but also kind of listen to ourselves in our own internal um, dialogue or kind of, you know, evolutions, if you will, because that is how we stay in the game. And I definitely have a long-term view of my business. So I like to think about like, what am I going to be doing in 25 years? I still want to be in business and it may be a slightly different version of this business. I might not be creating what we're creating right now, but I know that I can't get there unless I kind of go through where I'm going now and kind of keep evolving it and, and growing it.
0: Oh, agreed.
1: I feel like (laughs) something that's really coming up a lot is this balance between intuition and then maybe the software engineering side of analytics. So... Do you feel like a good 50-50 blend of those two things? Do you feel like they're ever at odds with each other? Like is your, you know, maybe software engineering desire for efficiency? I only say this because I'm married to a software engineer.
0: (laughs) It's very efficient.
1: (laughs) Um, does that ever conflict with your intuition or gut feelings? And how do you like battle those two things out? What wins?
2: I I definitely think I'm a little bit more on the feeling side than on the, um, Like more engineering side. And if you look at the like Myers Briggs, I'm like uh, INFJ. So the F versus. Uh...
1: INF, sorry, <laughs> INFJs are always my favorite people.
2: That's so funny. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> but me too. I know. Shit, Kathleen <laughs> says right there, guys. Uh,
1: seriously. <laughs> and then this woman emailed me the other day and she was like, I'm specifically um, marketing my business to INFJs. And I was like, damn, talk about niching in on your dream customer. Right, I love that. <laughs> okay, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. I'm just yeah, but so no worries. That you're so, INFJ. so
2: yeah, whenever I take the test, it's like the F is like very clear. But then when people talk to me or like they know I'm a, like a software engineer, they're like, "Oh, you must be a T, right?" And I'm like, "No, I'm not INTJ. I'm INFJ." So I do think that the feeling side kind of take over the thinking side a lot of times. Um, but I I really think that has led me in the right direction, um, just because even though it's like a numbers thing, and you know we are in business to make a profit and all that stuff, to me, if I'm not actually helping people or connecting with them on that human level, then I don't really feel like I want to be doing business. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I'm at this point where I want to be serving people and solving their problems, and also making them feel great along the way. Um, so yes, you know we have software, we have things that are very technical, but if they're not feeling loved when when they're interacting with the software or our company, then I feel like we kind of miss the mark. So to me, that's really really important. Um, and I would say definitely my husband is like um, he's an ENTJ, so he's definitely more on on the thinking side too. Um, so sometimes we butt heads. When we're discussing uh, like whether that's the direction of the business or like what we should do next or whatnot. So, yeah, I kind of balance him out and he balances me out as well, which kind of works out pretty well.
0: (laughs) Awesome. I want to talk next about failures, if you don't mind, because you have been around for a moment. I would love to hear like maybe something you launched or something you tried that did not work well. And what did that look like?
2: Yeah. So the the one I always kind of come to is the first info product that I ever launched in my healthy eating business. And I was probably like, a couple months into business like I had a blog I had like maybe 50 people on my email list or so um and I was like okay you know I'm just gonna launch let's just do it and um I had teleseminar teleseminar calls back before webinars basically um (laughs) which is so old school but so I had I think it was like three people on the call one of them was my dad um it was very sweet of him but um so I launched messing with your metrics though exactly yeah it's true (laughs) He asked a question, which made it seem like there was more people there, which is nice, but, (laughs) um, so yeah, so I launched and it was like total crickets. Like I did not get any sales. Um, and I, you know, I, I emailed more people. I told people on Facebook and all that stuff, but yeah, they, there's just no takers. And um, I retooled, I kind of realized, okay, wait, like I did all the right things. Right. So I had followed like, okay, you have to do like a, an opening live thing. You have to have a sales page. Um, these are the emails you send. So I kind of followed some, something that I had seen other people do, but what was really wrong with it was my offer. Um, so I hadn't figured out what people really wanted. And so it was called, you know, set, set yourself up for healthy eating success. Right. So it was so generic and it's like, who's really looking for that? Right. No, no one really wanted that. Um, so what I did is I did some of that customer research and, um, and actually talked to people and what they were saying was like, you know, I want to be healthy, but it's the cravings, you know, I crave this junk food or I crave, you know, bread or pasta or chips or whatever it was for each person was a little bit different. And so I realized, okay, cravings was the one thing that kept coming up over and over again. And so I realized, okay, I'm going to call this program cure cravings forever. And that, you know, changed the whole thing. And I ended up just reworking the sales page and the content ended up being pretty similar to what I was going to teach originally, but I just focused more on overcoming cravings. And, um, this time when I kind of relaunched it, um, I put a lot more time and effort into all of the pieces and I made it a lot more specific. And then I had 30 people sign up um, and my email list grew from 50 to 500. So it was a lot more on point to what people wanted. Um, But also, you know, I had done so much kind of understanding of my ideal customers that I knew exactly what to talk about. I knew exactly, you know, how to speak to them as opposed to just saying like, Hey, if you're not healthy, like you're just missing my program, right? Which is not at all what people are looking for um, in terms of solutions. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> okay, so no, I, and, you know, whenever you're sharing that, I wanted to almost be like, well, two months in, like we're all hearing crickets chirp at two months in, right? Like that's Absolutely. pretty expected. But then that turnaround, that repositioning to then get 30 signups is also very significant two months in. So I'm wondering, have you taken any lessons learned and applied that to your business now? Like, do you ever think, okay, cure cravings, not healthy eating (laughs) like is that a (laughs) mantra for you like and and where have you applied that even in your current business
2: yeah so and I just want to also clarify um it took about two months to like figure all this out and rework things so it wasn't uh like it was like Four to five months later, basically. So, just so people don't think, like, oh, in one week, she figured it out. So, and so you're continuing
1: to build your following and exactly hone in on your message. Probably even from that failure, you were probably even shifting how you were blogging at that point.
2: Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. So, some of the things definitely that I took to heart from that experience was also, um, realizing that I can't speak to other people like myself. So one of the things that I realized when I was doing that launch was that, you know, I was talking about things that um, people who were kind of already into healthy eating were thinking about. um, But I had to talk to people who were um, not there yet, you know, like who I was before I started eating better, right? Like a couple of years before that. So I kind of think the same in our, all of our software is like, how can we make this easier? You know, if I didn't know how to code or if I was just getting started online in business and I knew I need to, to to do X, Y, and Z, you know, what would I know? Like, I might not know about like plugins and all these things and, you know, how to change all this, like split testing, whatever stuff, right? Like I would just want to know, how do I get this up and running? And how do I make, you know, how do I make this work? So I, I definitely think back, like put myself in their shoes as much as I can, whenever I'm doing anything, including writing, recording videos, um, you know, features, anything like that, definitely kind of try to put myself in their shoes and not, um, kind of go generic and kind of go, um, kind of too far over their heads either. Cause I think that's, that's something that I had been doing in the very beginning a lot.
1: What is your biggest struggle now and how are you making steps to overcome it? If you don't mind getting real candid.
2: Of course. I think probably the biggest struggle for me right now is um, around being more of a manager and a leader in in the business. So that's something that, you know, I'm – a introverts, um, you know, leading and managing people is definitely not something that comes naturally. Um, and it's a lot easier when I'm just like talking to someone one-on-one on the team and just having this candid conversation. But, um, sometimes, you know, having to say like, you know, this is my standard and like, you know, how do you get there? Um, and like training and, Um, getting people to also collaborate. And sometimes there's like little, little hiccups and things, you know, and we're a virtual team. So it's not like we could just sit in the same room and be like, okay, like let's go over all this stuff and clear the air or whatever. So that's definitely been um, kind of the trickiest thing is like hiring people, making sure they work well together, (laughs) making sure um, that I can kind of lead and manage and, and do all of that. Um, and also balancing that with me, like doing my creative work that I love doing, because I would much rather lock myself in a room and like create <laughs> than I would just like having meetings and, um, doing all of that stuff. But it's also, to me, it's that next level of like how we're growing the business. So I want to make sure that I, um, like I evolve in my role as the business is growing as well. Totally.
1: <laughs> All right, well then, on the flip side, what makes you feel most boss? What makes you feel incredibly successful and like you just own it?
2: Uh, I would say probably getting really awesome feedback from our customers and people who use our products and our tools and just seeing the results that they're getting, you know, just seeing them be boss in their businesses and seeing them kind of you know, rocking it out. And that to me makes makes it all worthwhile. Um, especially, you know, women in business. I think that's definitely where my heart is seeing them, you know, being able to support families or being able to, you know, retire their husband or, you know, whatever it is that that their goals are. Maybe it's just more time off um, and having a little bit more scalability and stuff. So those are definitely the things. Um, but also, you know, kind of related to the team stuff, just seeing my team doing things that like, you know, it would have taken me forever to do, or, you know, seeing them kind of rocking their roles as well. Kind of like a nurturing thing, I guess. (laughs) Like I want to nurture everybody.
1: (laughs) Can we talk about your sign too? So we know that you're an INFJ. What's your sign? I've never go. Do you know what your rising sign is?
2: I don't. No. (laughs) (laughs) We'll
1: we'll run that for you later. Okay.
2: Sounds good. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Awesome. Thank
0: you so much, Natalie, for coming to hang out with us. It was good to finally like meet and chat with you for sure. And I feel like, I feel like you've just been in it for so long. You understand some of these nuances of not only like expressing creativity, but also running an online business in ways that honestly, most of the people we talk to don't really, or haven't really seen and experienced firsthand
2: right yeah we've got
1: mad respect for you and everything that you do thank you for all of it where can our listeners find you
2: um, they should go to ambitionally.com and if they want to list build then 30daylistbuildingchallenge.com is totally free so that's a great entry point too and then um, if you're more at the idea stage the theideasanctuary.com uh, we've got our paper planner there you definitely want to check it out
1: which is <laughs> so robust it is not fluffy at all you guys So thank you so much for joining us. We've loved having you on the show.
2: Thank you. It was so great chatting with you
0: guys. (laughs) We have gotten so much amazing feedback over the years from listeners about how our podcast has helped them start to grow and uplevel their businesses. So we want to celebrate you. Here's the boss we're celebrating this week.
2: Hi, my name is Erin Kendall and I am Being boss. I'm a certified personal trainer, and I train a community of busy moms online at fitmomgo.com. This week, I'm celebrating that I can no longer do all the things all by myself, all the time. I've grown my business
1: just enough that I just made the first step into hiring a VA, specializing in all the areas that I need help with the most. This right here, this small step feels so big and makes me feel like I'm being bossed If you're feeling boss and want to submit your own boss moment or win, go to www.beingboss.club slash I am being boss. This episode of Being Boss was brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Thank you to FreshBooks for sponsoring us. And you guys can try it for free by going to freshbooks.com slash being boss.